Hi, my name is Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 15 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the Gaming Rules live Q&A that went out at the end of February 2022. These podcasts are only possible thanks to the financial support of my Patreon campaign. So if you enjoy the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And a big thank you to all of my supporters for making what I do possible. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the uh, live Q&A for February. It's the end of the month already. Um, I don't know where this month has gone. I don't know where this year has gone. Uh, the format of this is as the other monthly live Q&As. Hello if you have never watched one of my live Q&As before. Um, but what we do is um, I basically, first of all, go through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance on my BGG Guild. Uh, and then we go to the live questions. It's normally about 30 or 40 minutes where I am answering questions that I've been asked in advance from those people who couldn't make it today. Uh, and then we'll go over to the live questions. So if you're watching this live and you're going to stick with us for the next hour and a half, which is it's usually how long we take, um, and you've got any questions for me, then hang fire. Um, but if you're not sticking around and you do want to ask some questions, put them in the chat. Start with the word question in capitals. Vicky will see them and then she will copy them into the live document. Uh, and then we're good to go. So. Uh, yeah, over on Board Game Geek, which I assume most of you know, I do have a guild. Uh, if you would like to join the guild and subscribe to the guild, there's very little traffic on there, so you're not going to get bombarded with information. But each month, uh, about a week before the live Q&As, I do post a thread up there for patrons, for, uh, not patrons, but for anybody to post questions in advance. Uh, and as I say, what we're going to do is we're going to start going through those questions now and see uh, see where we get to. Where is the thing? Here we go. Right. Okay. So the first question is from Logan. Uh, Logan recently watched my Great Western Trail solo playthrough that I did, uh, which was a few weeks ago. And I did it uh, and I wasn't using sleeves for my cards. Uh, and during the video, I was cringing because I was basically playing Great Western Trail without sleeving the cards. Uh, and Logan says, do I sleeve all of my games? Why and why not? Uh, and what is the brand I use for my sleeve? So, I like to sleeve cards for two reasons. First of all, I want to protect my games, uh, and I believe that sleeves protect the games from the cards wearing out. Um, but also, I find it much easier to shuffle cards with sleeves. Generally, if it's going to if it's going to involve shuffling, then I will sleeve the cards. So, Great Western Trail, for example, I will generally sleeve the cards because there's quite a lot of shuffling. Uh, but I also find shuffling uh, with card sleeves a lot easier. Now, if you are one of those people who think shuffling with card sleeves is harder, then you're probably using cheap sleeves. Cheap sleeves make it an absolute nightmare to shuffle, um, but good quality sleeves, you can you can mash them together and it, it really works. So yes, so I generally only sleeve when there's shuffling involved. Uh, in terms of make of sleeves, I used to buy Fantasy Flight, uh, although when they stopped doing them, I've switched over to Paladin sleeves. And the Paladin sleeves are really good. So yeah, I've been using Paladin sleeves recently. They are the ones that I would recommend, but it's, it's, a, it's a question which gets asked on the Patreon's um, Slack channel probably once every couple of weeks. Uh, which sleeves do you recommend? And lots of different makes get recommended. Some people recommend Sleeve Kings. Some people recommend Game Genics, um, which are the replacement for the FFG ones. But yeah, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm liking the Paladin sleeves at the moment. Uh, Brian has got some questions. 
excuse me, I've got some stuff in my throat tonight. Um, the stuffed animals that I've featured on the channel all have alliterative names. How many do I have? Now, if I, did, if I had time, I was going to get them all out. How many do I have? Probably a dozen or so. I think it's probably about a dozen. Um, do I consider Vicky's as well? Now, do you have any yourself? I don't know if you do. I mean, there's probably a couple that... Do you have any stuffed animals or are they all mine? Yeah, Vicky, Vicky's got a couple, but I've kind of adopted them, like the cats. The little, the little round ones, they weren't mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> do they all have alliterative names? Most of them do, because I like alliteration. So, um, yeah. Uh, Colin the Chameleon, Steve the Snail, Arnie the Armadillo. Was it Arnie? I can't remember what we settled on in the end. Um, I've got a few exceptions to that. I've got a worm with a, with a tartan hat. That's Hamish. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, they are all alliterative names. Um, some appear more often than others. How do I choose one, which one to feature? So, yeah, I mean, Steve the Snail and Colin the Chameleon are probably... Do you want to just pass me, Colin? Um, probably my two favourite ones. Um, they're a bit bigger, but... Yeah, this, this, is, this is Colin the Chameleon for those people who don't know. Um, but yeah, I've got quite a few. So, I don't know. It's, it's just whatever, whatever takes my fancy. Obviously, for ones that are going to be with me in the chat... Um, Let's put him on something. Give him a bit of a seat. There you go, Colin. Um, yeah, something like this is probably better, uh, whereas some of the smaller ones might get featured on the overhead camera. Uh, any that have never been featured? There might be. I don't think Benny the Beaver's ever been featured. Um, Kermit the Frog hasn't been featured. I've got a frog called Kermit. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually more of a dish. Uh, not a dish, a bath, a bath thing. This is, this is Benny the Beaver. So I don't know if Benny's actually been covered on the... Um, yeah, I don't know if he's appeared. So yeah, this is Kermit the Frog, and this is one of those things you have in a... It goes by the side of the bath, and you're supposed to use it as a thing. It's not really a technically a stuffed animal, but yeah, I've got that, so we'll put that on there. Anyway, there we go. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, Georgios has got some questions. Uh, the first one is, regarding content and up-to-date information, which board game journals would you suggest? So this is my first question for the live chat. If you are watching this live, or if you're watching this back afterwards, what board, what board game journals would you suggest? Because I don't actually read any, um, whether it be a printed publish, uh, publication or any regular online journal or anything like that. I, I generally don't read them. Um, yeah, I'm actually surprised. There, there is a magazine in the UK, Tabletop Gaming Magazine, which has been going for quite a few years now. And I remember when they launched, I was thinking, this isn't going to be successful. Because personally, I think the days of uh, printed magazines has gone. Now, I'm clearly wrong, because if you go into any, any supermarket, you will find dozens and dozens of printed magazines there. And tabletop gaming is still going on uh, years and years after it started. So it has been successful. But for me, with the internet being like it is, you've got all of the information there at the touch of a, a button. And you've got as much information as you want to. Whereas in a printed magazine, by the time you're reading a review of a certain game, I don't know, it might be too late. I'm not sure. But anyway, that, that, that is my, uh, my, my thoughts on board game journals. If you read any board game journals regularly, let us know. Um, because, yeah, I, I, I can't give you help on that one. Um, in multiplayer, this is another question from Georgios. 
in multiplayer games, when finishing a session, he's, at, he's basically given me a list of six criteria and said, do I find it useful in summarising the game in terms of player psychology and interaction? Not really. It's not something that I think about straight away afterwards. However, if a particular player has had a really good time or a really bad time, then obviously that will be apparent. Um, review of the game mechanics, yeah. Although, to be honest, I'm probably thinking about that during the game as well. Uh, advantages and disadvantages, not sure what you mean by that one. Adding house rules, yeah, I mean, it's very rare these days that I instantly think of, oh, this game would be better with a house rule. Now, I do have house rules for some of my games, and there are some games that I play which I do feel would be better with house rules, but overall, at the moment, 90% of games I've played, if not more, I don't instantly think of house rules to make them better. It's only if there's been some kind of issue or problem with the game um, that I would I would lean towards that. And a lot of the games that I've played recently, I come out of the game thinking, yeah, I don't think this needs any house rules. Um, creating and archiving a storyline is another thing that I think about. Now, that really depends on the, 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 the game. Most of the games that I play are solid Euro games and they don't generally have any kind of storyline. Although saying that, my solo playthrough of Tindaya that I did last Monday, from a from a narrative perspective, that was fantastic. And if you haven't seen if you're interested in watching how the solo game of Tindaya works, go and check out my video from last week because the events that occurred at the end of the ages transformed the board quite radically. And that is something which, although didn't tell any kind of story, was a kind kind of memorable situation which yeah I'm not going to forget for a while um, and the last thing is comments for replayability and the ideas of how to replay the game in a different way yeah I think again that's that's one of the things that I do think about after a game has finished and I've, I've said this on quite a few of the live streams is um, how many times will I be able to replay this game before I get bored of it um, because replayability it's a big issue or it's a big contributing factor for some people um, and for others, not so much, because for a lot of people like myself, you might play a game three, four times, maybe if you're lucky, and then pff, you've moved on. There are other people who want a game that they can play 30, 40 times, if not more. And yeah, there are certain games that I have in my collection, which are great games, but I think once I've played them five, six times, I'm probably done with them. And then I've got other games in my collection that I could play a hundred times and still never get bored with them. So when, I, when I've played a game, it isn't the first thing I think about, but it is something that I do consider. George also wants to know, what is important for me when deciding whether to acquire a new game from retail? Uh, expansions, use of miniatures, quality of production, etc, etc. So some of those things are important to me. First of all, whether a game has miniatures or not has almost no impact on my decision to purchase. In fact, games with miniatures I tend to uh, look more carefully at because there's a lot of games that come out on Kickstarter that are all bling and no gameplay. And I don't care how many miniatures he's got or how how good the miniatures look, I, I want the game. And if, if, if it's a good game that has nice miniatures, then great. But if it's a good game that doesn't have nice miniatures, the, if the game's still good, then that's fine. So miniatures don't make any decision for me. I find it actually quite... It's just the way things are, but 
if you've got two games that go on Kickstarter at the same time, one of them is a really, really great game. The rule book's there, all of the videos are there, you know, and everything's there, and it looks like a fantastic game. And then on the same day, you get another Kickstarter that launches with no rule book, no gameplay videos, just a load of marketing blurb, but pictures of the miniatures, right? The one with the miniatures will do 10 times as well as the other one. And it's just the way things are. You look at a Kickstarter campaign that's full of miniatures but no actual content and it'll make millions. And you look at other ones and they struggle. It's just it's just the way it is. And I think what that's done is it has changed the board game industry that more and more games are now having miniatures. Sometimes they're added on and they're not really needed, but games with miniatures do sell more. Um, quality of production, game mechanics, expansions. So if a game has... If a game is advertised and it says, here's the game and we're going to be doing an expansion every month for the next three years, that would actually dissuade me from buying it because you'd have to basically keep buying the expansions. We well, don't have to, but you know, I would, um, to keep up with it. Now, saying that, Marvel Champions Arkham Horror card game every month or whatever the new model is going to be, it's costing me an absolute fortune. But that didn't make any decision on the, on the factor of whether I... Um, whether I got the game in the first place. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see what you think. What are your deciding factors? Um, yeah, also price. I guess you've got to consider the price. Um, right. How do I feel about rejuvenating old games from the 70s or 80s? Uh, Georgios has hunted down Source of the Nile from 1977, Avalon Hill game. Um, and yeah, if somebody was to pick it up and republish it, then it would be great. I have mixed feelings about old games. There are a number of old games which have stood the test of time and are still really good. And it would be great if a new publisher was to pick them up, you know, make them pretty and basically publish them as a new version. However, in today's market, you've got to look at whether it's actually worthwhile. Because let, let's say Source of the Nile, for example. Now, I've not heard of that game and it might be a great game. It might be a gem of a game. But if a publisher was to pick that game up and say, we're going to do a new version of it, how many copies would they sell? That's the thing. You've got to look at, you know, whether it's actually going to be successful or not. Um, and there are other games from the 70s and 80s which haven't aged well at all. Um, and I would class now as unplayable. And when I, when I say unplayable, I'm being harsh because the game itself might be perfectly good. But when I say unplayable, I mean that it is just doesn't really fit with modern standards. And I, and I have to say, my number one favourite game of all time used to be Advanced Civilization, And I used to play Advanced Civilization as many times as I could. I mean, Advanced Civilization, for those people who don't know, it's like a, it's a game that's best played with six, seven or eight players. It's taken us anywhere between 10 and 15 hours to play the game. And I loved it, absolutely loved it. However, for me, it's unplayable because the sheer amount of downtime that you have in a game that isn't seen in modern games these days. So um, certainly when you get to the later stages of that game and you're playing with seven players, you might be sat there for maybe 45 minutes waiting for all of the other players to take a turn before you take a turn. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but not that much. And that doesn't have a place in modern gaming for me. And that, that would stop me playing it. So yeah. Right, there you go. Some, some old games are good, some old games are not good. Uh, and finally, a simple question, Kickstarter or retail? 
either. There's advantages and disadvantages to both Kickstarter and retail. Um, and like many people, I get a little bit, when I look at games that are on Kickstarter and you think this should have just gone straight to retail, um, I think there are some publishers that use Kickstarter that used to do retail as an option. Now, obviously, they use re they, they've decided to use Kickstarter and some of them are clients of mine and I know some people criticise them for using Kickstarter, but it's whatever they want to use, to be honest. Um, if they want to use Kickstarter as their model for producing games and that's the best thing for them, then, then you know, they've got their reasons for doing that and that's what they choose to do. Um, I don't have any preference one way or the other, really. Um, one thing that I do find odd is that I would have expected games to come out on Kickstarter that then go to retail to be cheaper. Like, if you're going to help them fund, you should get a good deal, you should get a good price. And I'm finding now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think those days are gone. I think when you buy something now on Kickstarter, you are pretty much paying the price that you would normally pay at retail. There may be some exceptions to that. I think uh, Eagle Griffin's games, the, the Vita Lacerda big games, I think you do get them cheaper than you would at retail. But other games, I don't know. Again, I'm not a big Kickstarter buyer. So let me know if you're watching this live or let me know in the comments afterwards. If you buy things at Kickstarter, are you getting them cheaper than they are at retail. And then of course you've got the shipping considerations as well, which right now would put me off backing anything on Kickstarter. But that's me, I'm in a different position to most people because I work in the industry and I get a lot of games sent to me. So I'm not, my my thoughts and opinions on buying games, where to buy games, Kickstarter or not, is, is different because I'm in a slightly different position. Right, next question. Thank you very much, George Josh, for all the questions. I hope I answered them correctly. Um, Right, Konstantinos has said, oh, can't wait for the Perseverance videos. It's on the table, it's right here. Uh, when are they expected to be on air? So for those people who don't know, I am currently filming and editing the uh, how to play videos for Perseverance episodes one and two. Episode one is done. Episode two is probably about 60% done. And I am hoping to finish it next week. I was hoping to get a first draft done this week and I will have a first draft done this week, but it's a very, very rough draft. Um, it is up to Mind Clash, to be honest. Basically, the plan is, as long as I have got these videos finished, edited and, and completely done and ready to go, Mind Clash will give me the green light and they will tell me when to make them live. And that will probably be a week or two before backers start getting their copies. That's It's out of my hands, it's not my decision. What I can say is that if you're a patron supporter of mine and you're on the Slack channel, you, you will get early access to them. In fact, patron supporters who are on the Slack channel have already seen episode one. Uh, and if you are a patron supporter of mine and you're not on the Slack channel, get on the Slack channel because there's loads of, uh, loads of stuff there, uh, lots of secret stuff that I only share through the Slack channel. Um, so yeah, episode one is available right now for patron supporters uh, who have helped me proof watch it and check that it's okay. Uh, and episode two should be done in the next couple of weeks. But as I say, it's going to be up to Mind Clash as to when they get released. Right, Mick is asking uh, about Furnace. So I did a live uh, tutorial and playthrough last Friday of Furnace from um, Arcane Wonders. And he said, I seem to really enjoy it. He'd be interested to hear some thoughts on your game in a bit more detail. So I will be, next week, I will be recording my monthly video log and I will be talking about it then. Uh, in more detail. So every month I do a monthly video log 
where I talk about all of the games that I've played and essentially I do a mini review of each one. So I will be talking about Furnace in more detail in the next monthly video log, Mick. But yes, I did, I did enjoy it. Um, Mick also wants to know about what are my thoughts on game balance in cooperative games? And this is actually a really interesting topic. So I spoke about the BGG Guild earlier on. Um, if you are not a member of the BGG Guild, please please go and join it. Vicky's going to put a link to it uh, in the chat right now. Um, but I think this is a good discussion that, that I'd like other people to contribute to. Now, Mick's question was, what do I think about game balance in cooperative games? Now, I immediately answered that question in my mind without reading what else he had to say. When I read the rest of Mick's question, it was all about... Um, how one player can spoil the fun if they are better than another player, but this can often be useful in when you're teaching somebody else how to play that you actually give them help and advice. Now, I thought, Mick, you were going to ask me about the balance of the game, about winning or losing, rather than the different relative skill levels of, of the different players. So for me, I don't have a problem with that. I don't mind quarterbacking as much as other people. If I'm playing a cooperative game and I've never played it before and you have played it before and you start giving me advice on what to do, I will welcome that advice because we're trying to win together. Now, there is a fine line between helping and giving advice and actually, you know, quarterbacking or backseat drivering or alpha gaming or whatever you want to call it. Um, but essentially, if you've played a game a lot and the other player hasn't, and they're going, let me make my own decisions, don't tell me anything, don't even give me advice, then you're not playing a cooperative game. You, you are just... And, I, and I, I think I'm quite lucky that I don't play with people like that, um, but also I don't play with people who absolutely try and you know steamroll the game and tell everybody what to do. Um, but yeah, the actual question that I thought you were going to ask is about the actual game balance within cooperative games. And that's another topic for another time that we'll maybe talk about <laughs> some other time. Um, and Mick's got one last question. Have I played either Dune or Cosmic Encounter? So Dune, yes. Now, not Dune Imperium, which I still haven't played, but the original, original Dune that has been redone like two times in the last decade. I have played the original Dune uh, and I will never play it again. Uh, anybody who knows the kind of games that I like and I'm comfortable with also knows the kind of games that I'm not comfortable with and negotiation in games is not something that I really enjoy so anything you know I really respect Dune as a game and also games like Game of Thrones, Diplomacy and all things like that I don't ever want to play them. Uh, the other one is Cosmic Encounter and yes I've played Cosmic Encounter many many times I used to have the original Games Workshop version of Cosmic Encounter in the attic I've got the Avalon Hill version of Cosmic Encounter I've also got the Fantasy Flight version of Cosmic Encounter. Cosmic Encounter is a very special game, but I don't like it as a game. I think it is very, very random, and it's all about the negotiation, and it's just all about crazy powers, and yeah. I, I, I know why a lot of people like it, but I would never choose to play a game of Cosmic Encounter over and above the 400 other games that I've got. Quick question from Henning, wants to know what software am I using for recording and editing my videos? Um, so I use the Adobe Creative Suite on the computer to do all of the um, effects, after effects. I use InDesign, I use Photoshop, things like that. Um, for this stream right now, 
for this stream right now, I'm using a piece of software called Streamlabs OBS. So Streamlabs OBS is what I use for all of the live streaming, but for the actual video editing, I use the Adobe Creative Suite. Right, Mark is asking me for, what are my thoughts on teaching and GMing a game? Uh, Mark feels that a good teacher should not crush the new players. I've done that sometimes. Um, compete and explain some of the moves, assist the new player on the nuances of the game, especially if you teach, you cannot take back moves. If it makes a mistake, keep the move, note it, and discuss in the game debrief or Q&A. Okay, so I always allow take back of moves, take, take backs of moves, even me. Um, but I don't subscribe to the train of thought that says a good teacher is one that doesn't win the game. That's nonsense, right? That's absolute nonsense. If you teach a game and you're good at teaching the game, that is a completely separate thing, okay? Whether you then win that game or not is irrelevant. You're not a good teacher if you didn't win the game. You're a good teacher if you're a good teacher of the game, right? Sometimes, as you will have seen from a lot of my videos that I've done, I teach people how to play the game and then I win the game. Sometimes I teach people how to play the game and then I don't win the game. For me, they are two separate things. I will always go out of my way, as, as Mark says, uh, explain some of the moves, assist new players, give them, give them helpful tips and advice on what they should be doing without telling them what to do. But if, if I then win the game, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, because I'm a person who does something and then changes my mind and takes it back. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with me saying, okay, because it's because I've played the game before and I'm teaching the game, I'm not going to allow myself any take backs. Sure, that is that is that is hindering me, but I also I like taking I I like making take backs in in games. Now, that's not to say that you allow people to do something once the board state has changed. So for those people that are watching this and you think, oh, Paul allows take backs all the time, I only allow take backs when. Uh, the board state hasn't changed. So for example, you know, I will make a move on my turn and I'll go there and I'll buy a certain thing and then I'll be looking at it and I'll say, right, I'm done. Next player takes their turn. And then I go, oh no, wait a minute. No, I'll, I'll move that to there. I'll change that. There you go. Some people don't allow that, but as long as the game hasn't moved on and as long as the board hasn't changed, um, then I, I don't see any problem with that. The, the main thing about allowing takebacks is as long as it doesn't impact on another player, and what they would have done, then it's perfectly fine. And if you don't allow take backs, then what you end up doing is you force people to spend even longer staring at the board, making a decision because they know that if they don't make the right decision, they, they can't fix it. So anyway, let's have a quick pause and just tell you about a couple of things. First of all, a big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. These videos uh, and a lot of the other content that I create is only made possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. At the moment, we are sitting on 808 Patreon supporters. So the countdown to 800 has gone. We are we did reach 800 Patreon supporters. However, um, that doesn't mean the Patreon campaign is stopped. If you are, uh, if you like the content that I create and you are in a position to be able to support me on Patreon, please do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Vicky will put a, put a link in the chat now. Um, but also the way that Patreon works, because some of you might be a bit confused by thinking, well, hang on a minute, didn't you get to 808 Patreon supporters last month? And I think I did. I think I might have got, got to 808 or 807. But what happens at the start of each new month, Patreon does a whole load of admin. 
and even though nobody actually leaves the Patreon, I lose about 20 supporters. So although right now we are on 808, when we get to the 1st of March, I'm probably going to lose about 20 supporters and the countdown to 800 is, is, is back on again. So the net result is in the last month, the Patreon hasn't actually grown. We were at about 808 this time last month and we are at 808 now, which is really unusual because if I look at my stats, it will show that I've gained eight new supporters this month. So in which case, where's, where's the people that have left? It's just the way that Patreon does the admin. Um, but anyway, yeah, if you are in a position to be able to support me, even just $1 a month helps contribute to the channel and you can help me carry on making more videos. Uh, and also each month I do a contest and let's talk about the contest now. So the contest for the last couple of years has been that you can win £25 worth of game vouchers from Games Law. However, as a celebration for reaching 800 patron supporters, we've decided to increase that to £50. So what's happening is Games Law always gave me £25 worth of game vouchers. I am now basically adding the same amount again. So if, if you are watching this either live or if you're watching this any time between now and the next live Q&A, basically you've got a whole month to enter the contest. You can enter the contest to win. Uh, Vicky will put a link in the chat and all you need to do is click on the form and put the secret word. And the secret word today can be beaver. There you go. This is Benny the Beaver. Um, and yeah, basically you can win £50 worth of game vouchers from Games Law. So that's £25 contributed by myself and £25 contributed from Paul from Games Law. Thank you very much, Paul. I've seen you in the chat. So yeah, currently 809 patron supporters. Oh, excellent. Right. Okay. I miscounted earlier on. Um, so yeah, right. Okay. On with the questions. Brian, you know what's going to, you know what question this is going to be about? except it's not. He said, just wondering, since I've worked with Awakened Realms in the past and I'm currently working with Awakened Realms, will I be covering Tamashi, which I've never heard of? So no, I, I guess I'm not covering that on the channel. <laughs> I've not heard of that one. Um, if you think I should be covering it, then feel free to drop Awakened Realms uh, a bell and say, why isn't Paul working on this game with you? But no, I'm, I'm currently working with Awakened Realms on the rulebook for ISS Vanguard. Um, I'm not working with them on on Tamashi. Uh, he says it looks like there may be some ideas crossing over from Burn Cycle into Tamashi. Oh, okay, cool. Um, right, here's the question that you've been waiting for. On a post-apocalyptic theme, which biscuits do we think would survive the best chance, uh, have the best chance of surviving the apocalypse? I think this is such an important question. I'm going to put this over to the live chat. Which biscuits do you think have the best chance of surviving um, the apocalypse? We had a chat about this earlier on, didn't we? Um, and Vicky suggested ginger nuts because they're hard, basically. Yeah, so that, 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 that I guess, our, our vote. Um, and finally, have we been impacted by the great Tunnock's caramel log shortage of 2022? No, it, it obviously hasn't reached Columpton yet, um, but apparently there has been much wailing and gnashing of teeth. Right, so have you been affected by the great Tunnock's caramel log shortage of 2022? Ginger snaps, says Vicky. No, not ginger snaps. Garibaldi's. Tried it and it doesn't work. The link, the link should work. Anybody else getting an error? Is, I can't hear you. The link, is the link not working? Okay, so the link is working for us. 
Uh, it links to gaming rules videos, but it should be gaming rules. Ah, right. Okay. Let me just check that. Ah, yes. So the link that we've been sending to Patreon is not right. <laughs> there we go. I finally get it working and I'm linking to the wrong thing. Okay. Try it again now. Yeah. So it should be, you're right, you're absolutely right. It should be patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Gaming rules videos is the YouTube channel name, not the Patreon name. Right. Okay. I think people were getting confused with the contest link and the Patreon link. So the contest link is working and the link to Patreon should be working as well now. Right. Back to the questions. Roger is asking, of the games that I've played recently with just two players, which one did I like the best and why? I'm going to answer that question in a game that we played with three players, because that is Polis. Um, Polis is a two-player game, but we actually covered it on the channel with three players, um, <clears throat> with two players playing one side and one player playing the other side. Um, it's the only real two-player game that I think I've played recently. Um... Yeah, and it was really good. Saying that, I did have a game of Marvel Champions the other night with Rick um, online using Tabletop Simulator, and that was really good as well, even though we lost horribly in both games. Um, so yeah, Marvel Champions is great with two players, but Polis, strictly speaking, two-player game, but we played it with three. That That is really good. Uh, William wants to know, are our cats siblings? Yes. So Thor and Loki are brothers. We, we, we got them from the Cats Protection Agency. Cats Protection Agency, where we were told that they were brothers. However, you wouldn't know it from, from looking at it. They're, everything about them is different. Thor is big, strong. He's like five kilograms and he's really muscly and everything else. Loki is like really small and cute and black. So yeah, they are very, very different, both in their physical makeup um, and their personality and everything. So you wouldn't know that they were brothers, but we got told that they were brothers when we uh, when we when we got them. Right, Paul has got a question which I am I am struggling to answer. Well, in fact, I don't think I can answer this, and this is probably another thing that that we should post on the um, on the guild. Paul wants to know what is my favourite movie inspired board game, and I don't think I have a movie inspired board game. Now I know there's a lot of them out there. We, in the last few years, we've had The Thing, we've had Jaws. I don't know whether we, we got li little troubling, big, big troubling Little China or something from a few years ago, but I don't, I don't think I own any movie-inspired board games. I did have a quick look through my collection, um, but I didn't, I didn't see one on there. Um, and also, worst movie franchise board game. So yeah, this this is a question which I'm I'm going to put to the live chat. Feel free to answer it in the live chat, or if you're watching the, this back afterwards, um, put it in the comments. But we could also start a thread on Board Game Geek. Best movie inspired board game, worst movie inspired board game. Um, Andrew is asking, does War of the Ring count? <sighs> Good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that the board game War of the Ring is based on the books, if we're going to be technical. <laughs> also, yeah, I'm not sure. It probably possibly is, but I don't own War of the Ring. So, yeah. Worst movie, Harry Potter Monopoly. Okay. Nemesis is movie inspired. That's a very good point. Nemesis is basically aliens, uh, but I've not played I've not played Nemesis yet. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think I think we may post that on the guild. 
Right, last question from the BGG Guild, and then we're going to switch over to the live questions. Uh, Phil wants to know, have I ever played a game at the place that it's named for? Which is a really good question, and I don't think I have. For example, have I played Carcassonne in Carcassonne? Have I played Brussels in Brussels? Have I played on the underground on the underground? Have I played Snowdonia on Snowdonia? And I don't think I have. I don't think I have played any of my games that are based on a particular area when in that area. Um, so he's asking me which, which game would I like to play at its place name. Um, for me, if I had to choose, it would probably be Kalis because Kalis is one of my favourite games of all time. So going to Kalis and playing Kalis would be quite cool. Um, but if you, again, this is another question for people watching. Uh, or, you know, watching live, put it in the comments. If you're watching afterwards, uh, sorry, if you're watching live, put it in the chat. If you're if we're watching afterwards, put it in the comments. Have you played a game at the place where the, where the game is based? And if so, which game is it? Right, we're all done. Peter says Earth. Yes, I will be playing Earth tomorrow. <laughs> so uh, that it'll be that one then. Um, once played the Bloody Inn in a hotel. Philip says Bruges in Bruges. So have you played Bruges in Bruges? Yes, I am playing Earth later this week. I'm playing it. Uh, I'm playing it tomorrow. Can't quite play on Mars on Mars. No, not quite. Not quite. Right. Okay. So let's go to the live questions that have been asked while we've been uh, we've been on air. Right. First question is from Mindy. What, if anything, are you currently painting miniature-wise? I am currently, right now. Well, not literally right now, but last night I was painting Black Canary from Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Um, Batman Gotham City Chronicles is my current painting project because I'm going to be doing, I've got a game of it this Sunday and I've also got a video that I'm going to be doing in the next couple of weeks and I want to make sure I've painted all of the miniatures that I need for the scenario that I'm playing. Uh, I actually have a spreadsheet um, for all of the miniatures in the game and I'm ticking them off as I'm painting them and I think I'm 47% of the way through which sounds not a lot, but I've actually painted, is it 70 miniatures? I've painted 70 of them. I mean, it's taken me years. <laughs> I've been painting them for a long... I'm a slow painter, but yeah, I've probably put about... Let's say let's say I've painted about 70 of them. Let's say it probably takes me about four hours for figure, per figure, which is about right. So I've probably put about 300 hours into painting miniatures for Batman Gotham City Chronicles at the moment. Um, yeah, if you're on the Slack channel, we do, we, do, we do have a painting channel on Slack where I do post the pictures of what I've painted on there. Uh, and I, 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 I put them on the vlog as well. Um, I'm also in the middle of painting Anachrony. So I've painted two of the factions from Anachrony. Um, and yeah, if you want to see pictures of them, go and check out the monthly video log from earlier this month, because I, I put pictures on screen of them then. And I think once I've painted a few more Batman, I might go back to Anachrony again. That's my plan. Uh, Quinn wants to know, how long have I been board gaming? And what was the first game that got me into the board gaming hobby? So I've been board gaming literally my whole life. Um, back when I was, you know, a, a kid, um, I would play games like, um, obviously, Monopoly, Cluedo, uh, Mousetrap, Spiring, things like that. So in, in the in the late 70s, as I was a kid, I, I was playing games and I always enjoyed playing games. Now, obviously, they don't count in terms of modern gaming, but I got into more modern gaming in the 80s when I played a lot of board games, Civilization, Acquire, Axes and Allies, and a lot of the early games, Workshop games. Um, so I've, I've always been a board gamer. 
when did I seriously, really seriously get into board gaming? That was about 98. So about 1998, um, I gave up playing Magic the Gathering uh, and, I, and I switched primarily into board gaming. I was still doing role-playing games at the time, but board gaming has been pretty much my hobby and passion for, for my whole life. But I've been seriously into it for the last 24 years or so now. Uh, Thomas, what's... Oh, no, hang on a minute. There's another question. What was the game that got me into the board gaming hobby? Yeah, it's difficult to say what game got me into the hobby because I've always been really a part of the hobby. But I think, again, not counting the games that I played that I mentioned at the start of this, um, you know, like the Mousetraps and the Cluedos and things like that, not counting those, it would have been Axis and Allies, Advanced Civilization, 1830, you know, all of those those sorts of games from back then and again the, the the early games workshop games some of which were really good i remember loving warrior knights and 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 battle cars and um and, and railway rivals and things like that but some of those games now are just way too random that i just would never play them anymore thomas wants to know what's the best board game to play at easter something with eggs in it I don't know. <laughs> I am not somebody who plays uh, themed games at the certain time of the year. I know, I know there are people who go, oh, it's Halloween, let's play Halloween themed games. I Or Christmas, let's play Christmas themed games. I don't do that. I just play whatever, whatever, whatever games there are that I want to play at the time. Um, but it is a good question. What, what Easter themed games are there uh, out there? I don't know. I don't think it's a theme which is, which is commonly done. But if you've got an Easter-themed board game, let us know. Let us know what it is. Mark is saying that he's going to be teaching and playing Trickerium with a Dark Alley-based game at four players. Any hints that you think would help? Yes, don't do it. <laughs> so Trickerium is a great game. But personally, and I know some people might disagree with this, I personally feel that everybody's first game of Trickerium should be using the introductory rules for five rounds. Now, if you are a fan of Trickerian, you might be thinking, that's nonsense, Paul, you're talking rubbish. Everybody should play the full game right from the start. I disagree. Now, that is not to say that the full game isn't a better game. It is. The full game, the seven round game, and if you include Dark Alleys, is a much better game. However, if you, try, if you teach four people how to play the full game of Trickerian with Dark Alleys, it can be a bit too much for some people, and it can be very long. I would always personally teach people the basic game with the five round version, teach them that, and then if they like it, then you can play the other one later. Because what happens if you get an hour in or an hour and a half in, and one of the players really isn't enjoying it? Now, your first game of Trickerian with four players with all of the full rules is going to take a long time and I don't like the idea that somebody might be in, in a game that they're not enjoying or they're not getting or they don't like it um, and, they're, and they're stuck in it. Whereas if you teach the five round version then if somebody doesn't like it it's over in a couple of hours and they go yep yeah, that's fine thank you very much I didn't really enjoy that I'm not going to play it again. So yeah personally I, I would always teach people with an introductory game first as a, as a stepping stone to the main game. Um, Tina, will I be attending UK Games Expo? Yes, and it's actually going to be, it's going to be strange this year. UK Games Expo, for me, this year is going to be very strange. And the reason for that is, 
for the last seven or eight years maybe UK Games Expo for me has been work I have been CGE's representative in the UK I have organized the booth I have you know run the booth I basically I have been CGE's person in the UK um, which meant UK Games Expo was all work for me organizing the demo team organizing everything pretty much and working full-time this year I'm not doing that CGE are going to be there but this is the year where I am handing over responsibility to other people. So I'm still going to be helping them a little bit with the demoing, but my plan is that I'm going to be doing a couple of hours of demoing each morning for CGE. They will have a new game, hopefully, cross fingers, that's going to be coming out later this year, and they're going to have a prototype of it of at UK Games Expo. And the plan is that I will be the one doing the demos of that game uh, at UK Games Expo. But other than that, I'm actually going to have quite a lot of free time. Now, what that means is I will be using that time to meet up with patron supporters. Um, I'm basically going to be mostly a free agent. I might do a little bit of demoing with some other publishers, depending on um, if any publishers want, want me to do it. For example, I found out last week that WizKids are planning to be at UK Games Expo. Now, if WizKids are going to be at UK Games Expo and they want somebody to demo Mage Knight, well, I know a guy who knows how to play Mage Knight, so I might be doing some things like that. Um, so yeah, if, 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 if you're a patron supporter of mine and you want to meet up at UK Games Expo, then watch this space because I will be definitely publishing some information about where I'm going to be at various times. And I, I want to treat it more uh, as a social event and hanging out with people and playing games. Uh, Nils wants to know what is my favourite solo game? A question that I can answer very easily. It is Under Falling Skies. Under Falling Skies is for me the best solo game there is. It's crunchy, it's got lots of decisions, it's a puzzle, it's got so much replayability, it's relatively quick, and I really, really enjoy it. So yeah, Under Falling Skies, number one solo game for me. Kirk is asking, other than myself, who are rulebook writers that you should admire? Well, I, 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 there's a few names out there that are, that are really good um, people, but it's always tricky because there is one rulebook editor that I know by name who generally speaking when I see their name on a rulebook it's a really good rulebook however there is one rulebook that I've seen recently which has their name on it and it's not a very good rulebook and this always leads me to the question of when you see somebody's name in the back of a rulebook as a rulebook editor you actually have no idea what they've done because in the, in the world of rulebook editing, there's editing with lowercase e, there's editing with a big capital E, and there's editing all in capitals. A rulebook editor could be somebody who has just taken a look at the rulebook and corrected a couple of mistakes. Or, in my case, it could be somebody who's taken the rulebook and has said, this is absolutely useless, thrown it in the bin, and then spent two months writing a brand new one from scratch. You don't know when you look at the back of a rulebook and you look at the rulebook editor what they have actually done. Um, so yeah, so it's it's really difficult for me to say. There is one person though who does stand out for me and that is Jason Holt. And I've mentioned his name a couple of times on the channel. Jason writes all of CGE's rulebooks. Uh, Jason is actually an author as well. He's done the Fighter Fred series of novels, which if you're interested, quick plug for Jason's books, Google it right now. Fighter Fred It is a series of... Uh, comical novels because he's, 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 he's a very funny guy 
uh, based on D&D. &D. Um, yeah, just, just have a look at it on Amazon uh, and let me know if you, if you get it. Vicky's currently reading book three. He's done four of them. Vicky's currently reading book three. I haven't read them myself because I have issues reading, but Vicky, thumbs up. Vicky says they're really good. Anyway, J Jason, as well as him being an author, Jason writes fabulous rule books. Um, he's done all of CGE's rule book. He's also done uh, Underwater Cities. He's also done uh, Messina 1347, which I know some people say is not a good rule book, but it is a good rule book. Trust me. Um, if a rule book contains all of the rules in the right order and you don't have any questions of the game afterwards, then it's a good rule book. Uh, Flashburn says, getting Boon Lake today, you can play it this week at two player or wait until next week at three player. What would I do? Ooh. I always feel that a three player game is better than a two player game. However, yeah, I would wait. I would wait. Now, I've not actually played a full game of Boon Lake yet. I keep meaning to cover it on the channel and I just haven't got round to it yet. But yeah, personally, I feel that a game like Boon Lake, a three-player game would be better. Again, if, you, if you've got your own thoughts on it, let me know. Uh, Alan, what should a good rulebook include? Yes, so I think Alan wants to be a rulebook editor and he's asking me for advice. Um, I could talk and have done. I've, I've run seminars on uh, what makes a good rulebook. But in summary, a good rulebook should be written in such a structure uh, that it flows well. You need the right information at the right time. Um, it's probably easier for me to explain the, the pitfalls and some things that you see that are wrong. Front-loading information is bad. I have seen games with 12 pages of front-loading of information before you even discuss the fact that the game plays over four rounds, right? You don't want to do that. So it needs to have the minimum amount of front-loading information. Uh, it needs to have Anything um, like card, in, card um, anatomies and things like that need to be not at the start of the rulebook. They need to be at the right place in the rulebook. Basically, the whole rulebook needs to flow flow well. Um, it needs to be well-structured. It also needs to have... I mean, it, it seems silly to say, but it needs to have all of the rules in there. There are many, many publishers out there who publish a game and then people start playing the game and, oh, something happens and it's not covered in the rulebook. Surely that must have come up in playtesting, okay? So when you produce a rulebook, you should be making a rulebook which any of these questions which keep getting asked in all of your hundreds of playtest sessions, the answers to those should be in the rulebook. Um, yeah, um, I mean, it potentially should have a glossary. Some rulebooks should have an index. I don't think an index is absolutely essential. For some games it is, but for other games it's not. Um, but yeah, making a good rulebook is hard. Really, really hard. Alina says, if I've looked into it, what do I... Th oh, do I think Astro Knights will have a place in my collection alongside Aeon's End? I can answer that very easily, and the answer is no. And the reason why I am saying no without looking into it is I think Aeon's End is fantastic. I love Aeon's End, and Aeon's End is one of those top 10 games for me where I don't get to play it enough, right? I have played Aeon's End probably... 5% of the amount that I want to have played Aeon's End. I have loads of Aeon's End content. I have, there's more content available for Aeon's End and I don't get to play it enough. So Astro Knights, from what I hear, is a kind of re-theme of the game and it's a bit more streamlined and it's a bit more simple. I have no problem with the complexity of Aeon's End. So yeah, it would not replace it. Um, if you gave me three weeks 
off work, I, I would Aeon's End is one of those games that I would play repeatedly. And I'm actually considering going off at a side tangent for a minute. Um, but once my rulebook work is finally wrapped up and I actually have a bit more free time, one of the things that I've been thinking of doing for the channel is all day games day where I pick a game and I play it all day. And one of those things that I've been thinking about is Aeon's End. So basically uh, doing a live stream, like an eight hour live stream, playing Aeon's End all day and just playing multiple bosses one after the other. So um, yeah, so Astro Knights is, is, I've not even really looked into it, to be honest. Um, right, Genway says, um, thought it was very strange that they didn't prominently acknowledge a house designer until the very end of the Kickstarter page. Why is that? Yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but a how is a game which is on Kickstarter right now. Uh, Tom Heath from Slicker Drips has done a fantastic how to play video for it. Uh, I'd never heard of the game until last week. I'm not involved in this game at all. Uh, I know Luke Hector from The Broken Meeple has a review copy of the game. The publisher and designer hasn't reached out to me at all, so I, I, as I, I don't have anything to do with it. But apparently, the the name of the designer wasn't really mentioned at all until near the end of the Kickstarter page. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know why that is, um, to be honest. I don't know. Um, C. Scott Kippen says, in a nutshell, what do I love about Too Many Bones? Oh, how do I summarise what I love about Too Many Bones in a nutshell? I'm not sure I can. I'd have to really think about that. I mean, I do love Too Many Bones. Um, there's something special about Too Many Bones. And I'm trying to think of the right words to use. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is it is it is it the replayability? Is it the character customization? Is it the tactical nature? Is it the puzzle aspect? It's probably all of those things together. I mean, yeah. Ultimately, every day of too many bones that you play is a tactical combat, right? The you know a lot of people will class it as a as an RPG style adventure game. I don't think it is right, and and that's me coming from a role-playing game background, and that's me who thinks a lot of these role-playing games are not actually role-playing games. So Too Many Bones, I don't really class as an RPG-style adventure game. It is. You are, you are, you have a character, but you're not really role-playing. You're just, you're just taking on a character. The character evolves, the character levels up and, you know, gets better. But it is a series of tactical combats, and I think it is... It is the combination of the great production value of the game, the way that those tactical combats work out uh, in a in a puzzle style fashion. It is the fact that the characters are so interesting and they work in such a way. I mean, if you could get into the mind of the designers of that game, I mean, they're, they're genius. What they've come up with for all of the different characters is fantastic. So, yeah. Ludo says, is it in my short term to plans to play Lord of the Rings? If you mean the Lord of the Rings card game, then yes. In fact, on the Slack channel yesterday, I even posted and said, I really want to play the Lord of the Rings card game. Um, it, at the moment, there's two factors that are keeping me playing playing it on the channel. One, The main one is time. Um, I, I don't have any spare time at the moment to do anything other than what I've advertised. I'm going to be working pretty much all of this weekend as well. Um, but I do want to cover it on the channel. But the other thing is... I have some house rules for the Lord of the Rings card game. 
and I don't want to play the game without those house rules. And I know a lot of fans of the game will think that playing a game with house rules is absolute sacrilege and that I'm a complete, you know, bad for the industry because I'm doing this. So, yeah, I'm a little nervous about playing a game on the channel which is well-loved by many, many people, and I'm saying, I think this game is flawed and I don't want to play it without any house rules. Um, but anyway, more on that later. Um, next question from uh, Captain Loco Lacon. Do I agree, compared with video games, that there are too few sports board games? Uh, and if so, why do I think that is? Well, personally, I'm not really that into sports. Um, I mean, I don't follow football. We, we follow Formula One. We watch Formula One. And I'm still waiting for a... I say I'm still waiting for a decent Formula One board game. I've got Championship, championship Formula Racing which is, for me, the best Formula One board game that, that I've played. Um, but no, I don't follow football. I'll, I'll watch the tennis sometimes if it's on, but I'm not really a big sports person. So for me, I don't agree that there are too few sports games because I'm not really that interested in sports. <laughs> um, do I plan on covering Boone Lake, says Sean. Yes, in, yeah, I'm I'll be planning on covering Boone Lake. Um, I'm actually talking to Alexander Fister about when I'm going to cover Boone Lake, and he's actually trying to sort something out with the publishers. So, yeah, me and, me and Alexander are actually speaking about Boone Lake. I've been wanting to cover it on the channel for a while. It will get covered on the channel, um, and I'm talking to Alex about, about when, it's, uh, when it's going to be. Right, Andrew is asking, will I do a live stream of Mousetrap when I get to 900 patron supporters? I'll tell you what, Andrew, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. If we get to 900 patron supporters... Um, then we can do a live stream of Mousetrap on the channel. The reason why I said Mousetrap is out of the very few childhood memories that I still have, I have a memory, and I must have been five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, however old I was, at home playing Mousetrap on my own, because I'm an only child, and I remember setting the board up and going through it and, and doing it. I don't remember anything about the game and how it plays other than you are adding plastic pieces to a board and then at the end you push a thing and this contraption happens because the other thing that I'm a big fan of is contraptions and mechanical devices that do things and I, I vaguely remember at the end of Mousetrap you do something and this this ball rolls down and it tips something and then something happens and what and you catch the mouse and if it doesn't work then you lose the game or something like that and I just have this memory of being a kid at home, playing with it and setting it all up. Not actually playing the game, because presumably it's a multiplayer game. There isn't a solo version. Presumably. There you go. Solo Mousetrap. Somebody write the rules for Solo Mousetrap. <laughs> um, well, let's just have a quick break. It's five past six. Let's do a couple of shout-outs again. First one for the contest. Again, if you are watching this uh, either right now, live, or if you are watching this back any time before now and the end of March, well, the last Wednesday in March, you can enter the contest. This is a contest to win £50 worth of game vouchers from Games Law. It used to be £25 a month, but in order to, uh, as a way of celebrating the fact that we reached 800 patron supporters, I've basically added an extra £25 of my own money into it. So you can win £50 worth of game vouchers from Games Law um, by entering the contest. The link is in the chat right now. It's also in the, in, in the um, description of the video. And you just need to click on that form, and the secret word is beaver. There you go. 
I will do the draw. Now, in terms of last month's contest, I ran out of time. I haven't done the draw for last month's contest yet. I will do that draw tonight. So tonight, I will be doing the draw for last month's contest, which was just for £25. Uh, but you will be the last winner of the £25 worth of vouchers. Um, and speaking of the Patreon, again, as I mentioned at the start, a lot of the content that I create is only made possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. So if you are in a position to be able to support me on Patreon, um, even just $1 a month all helps, please do so. Patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. There'll be a link appearing in the chat and hopefully it's the right link this time. <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, while we've been live we have now had another patron supporter. So thank you very much to Juan Venturello. Presumably you're all watching this live, but yes, thank you very much. So we're now at, what, 810 patron supporters. Cool. Right, back to the questions. <clears throat> um, Juso says, strategically deep games usually have long setup times. Is there any exception? You're absolutely right with that. Um, the heavier a game, generally speaking, the bigger the game, the more components it is, therefore the setup game, uh, therefore the setup times are longer. But there are some games which are um, deceptively simple. So where there isn't that many components, the setup time is relatively quick, but actually the game itself is quite deep. This really depends on your definition of depth, and it really depends on your definition of, of heaviness, uh, and depth and everything else because if we look at a game for example like Furnace. Now Furnace I played on the channel last Friday. Furnace is not a complicated game. I could teach you how to play Furnace in five minutes. So in terms of complexity it's quite low. In terms of setup time it's quite low. But in terms of depth I think Furnace has quite a bit of depth. Now, I'm not saying it's the deepest game I've got. I'm not saying Furnace is as deep as on Mars. Nowhere near. But there is a definite... Uh, there, is a, there is a relationship between the depth of a game and its complexity. Um, and I'm not sure. Yeah, if you've got any good example, this might be another good comment for the guild. So, yeah, again, if you're, if you're on the BGG guild, this is a great question for the BGG guild, is what games have the highest uh, depth to setup time ratio? There you go. Well, we'll ask that on the guild and see see what we get. Um, yeah, so if you want a full answer from other people as well, head on over to the BGG guild. Um, I'm going to put that question in red, and that will hopefully remind me, unless somebody else wants to do it, to post that question to the BGG guild. Right, Juan Miguel says... Oh, this is one who's just joined on Patreon. Uh, any news of the release of the Perseverance videos? Ah, yes, I mentioned that earlier on. Um, Patreon supporters have access to episode one, uh, episode 2, but we should be out in a couple of weeks, and Mind Clash will decide when the videos actually get released to the public. Initial impressions of the game compared to other crunchy thematic Euros. So, Perseverance is a tricky one because I'm professionally involved in the game. Uh, Mind Clash are basically commissioning me to make the videos. So I'm always a little nervous about giving my personal opinion on the game, just in case anybody takes that and says, oh, Paul's only said the game is good because he's being paid to make a video, which I'd never do anyway. But I very much enjoy Perseverance. I enjoyed it when I played it in prototype form. Uh, having got the game now and played it a couple of times since, I very much enjoy it. Perseverance is one of those games which initially, for me, I was like, oh my God, this is really complicated. This is going to take forever. And then after you've played it a couple of times, you're like, actually, 
This is relatively simple. Now, it's not relatively simple. I can tell you now, my video on how to play the game is 35 minutes, and that's 35 minutes of solid giving you rules. That means it's a heavy, complex game. There's a lot of things going on. But I actually do find it quite thematic. I mean, the theme of the game itself is, you know, stranded on an island and there's dinosaurs attacking and things like that. But a lot of the way that the rules work in the game is quite thematic. The way that the traps work, the way that the walls work, all of the things that you do in the game is actually, I find, quite thematic. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it and I, I'm looking forward to playing it again. Um, I'm also looking forward to trying out the solo mode in it, which I think I played once in prototype form, but I need to, I need to go back to it. Um, yeah, so initial impressions of the game compared to other crunchy thematic Euros. I think if you like the kind of games that Mind Clash games have done in the past, um, then you're probably going to enjoy this one. I think it is probably more complex than Anachrony, but possibly less complex than Trickerian. But I'm only saying that... No, it's probably about the same complexity as Trickerian, but Trickerian, for me, works my brain in a way that it, it doesn't work. I can't really play Trickerian well. Every time I've tried to play Trickerian, I get to the end of the game and I've totally and utterly messed it up. And I've tried it about six or seven times. So I, I've given up on Trickerian, um, not to say that it isn't a good game. It is a very good game. I just my, my brain just doesn't work in the right way to play it. And that's a shame because I really want to. Whereas Perseverance, yeah, yeah, works really well. Right, next question. Any thought on the GMT coin rulebooks, which are kind of a reference resource to the playbook? I haven't actually read one of them. I know GMT generally have a different style uh, of rulebook, um, certainly to the style of normal Euro games that I would play and rulebooks that I would write. They still use the numbered point system, which I think is a little bit outdated, but there are certain advantages uh, to using that. Um, yeah, I haven't read a coin rulebook, so I would need to read one um, and, and see what it's like. I, I have heard that they are good. Uh, the only GMT rulebooks that I have read are the Dominant Species ones and Space Corp, both of which I believe Chad Jensen was involved in. Well, Chad Jensen was definitely involved in Dominant Species, but I think Chad either wrote or helped out with the rulebook for Space Corp. Um, I might be wrong on that, and I think John Butterfield might have been involved as well. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but both of those uh, both of those games have really good rulebooks. But I have read... Um, I tried reading the rulebook for another GMT game the other day. I say the other day, it was last year. Um, and it was an absolute nightmare. And it just had wall, walls and walls and walls of text. And it had six pages of front-loaded walls of text before it even got into the game itself. And that I couldn't, I couldn't read that. Uh, Beer Monster says, Who is my top favourite board game content creators, YouTubers, podcasts and everything else? Uh, I've got a lot. There's, there's a lot of channels uh, who I enjoy. Um, there's a lot of people making very, very good videos. But there are some people out there who I believe deserve more, uh, more attention and more views than they get. So apologies for anybody who I miss on this because there are a lot of really good content creators out there. Um, but Mark Meyer from Board Game Coffee does brilliant videos. If you haven't seen any videos from uh, Mark's uh, Board Game Coffee channel, go on and have a look. Because when I look at some other people who make instructional videos, um, envy is the wrong word. Because that, that sounds like it's all negative. It's respect. 
okay? And if, if you go onto Board Game Coffee's YouTube channel and just watch one of, one of his latest rules videos, maybe not his earlier ones, but certainly some of his latest ones, and you watch it, it is so well done. It is so slick. Everything about it is brilliant. And I'm like, I wish I could do that. Now, I probably could do that if I wanted to. It's not my style, but I have... When I watch it, I just think this is brilliant. It's really, really professionally done. Um, and the other one is Nithranya. Um, Branislav, he's he's brilliant. Game in a nutshell. He's been doing instructional videos for a long time now, and I, I watch his videos. He's probably my number one instructional video creator. So yeah, uh, Nithranya, definitely, definitely watch them. Um, and then of course there's there's you know friends who support the channel. Tom Heath from Slicker Drips does a lot of live playthroughs like I do. Tom gets a similar amount of audience to what I do, but should get more. So if, you, if you're if you not subscribed to Tom's channel, then, then do that. And of course, Luke from The Broken Meeple. Luke has a lot of videos out there. Uh, I don't agree with most of the stuff that Luke says. <laughs> no, I probably agree with about half of what Luke says. Um, but Luke does a lot of great content on his on his channel and knocks out a lot of reviews uh, and various other things. So yeah, there, there, there's a few of them. Um, right. How did I get into editing rule books? That is a very good question. And in fact, I've already answered that. So on my, um, on Board Game Geek, I've actually done an FAQ. Have we got a link to the FAQ handy? Vicky's gonna try and find there's a link to the FAQ. Um, but because that is one of the questions that I kept getting asked a lot, what I did is I actually created an FAQ, which I put on BGG of how I got into rule book editing. Um, so yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's an interesting story, but it would take me about 15 minutes to tell that story now. Um, so I'll point you to the um, I'll point you to the link on BGG. In fact, I'm just going to try googling it now. Gaming rules FAQ. There you go. If you just Google gaming rules FAQ, you will get to the gaming rules Paul Grogan FAQ. And right at the start is. Uh, no, question two, how did I get into rulebook editing? So there's a there's a little bit of a little bit of a thing there. Um, right, next question from Mark. What is your approach to teaching a game that you have not played before, but you have read the game rules? Well, Mark, I will be doing that on Friday. So this Friday afternoon, I am going to be doing a live stream of Bitoku. Right now, at this moment, I haven't read the rulebook for Bitoku. I've not played Bitoku. And I will, um, I will be spending my time on Friday learning how to play Bitoku, and then I will be teaching it. Um, I don't. I'm, yeah, my approach is different based on based on the game itself. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna vary. Um, but if I've not played it before, but I've I've read the game rules, my approach is slightly different. Because if I've played it before, I will be able to give more help and more advice. So yeah, watch watch the game of Bitoku this Friday afternoon. It will be live on the channel at 2.30, uh, or you can watch it back later. And that will be me playing a game with some other people that I've never played before. Now, saying that, what I'm planning to do is actually send the rulebook to the other two players uh, and ask them to read it as well, so that we all go into the game the same way. I personally don't feel comfortable doing a live stream where I teach a game of Bitoku, which is apparently quite complex, having read the rulebook but never played it. But that that might end up being what I do. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. But my approach to teaching the game will very likely be similar to how I normally teach a game. 
which is you, you start, you do an initial introduction of the game, you tell people what the setting is, what the theme of the game, what we're trying to do. Then you explain to people how you actually win the game. It's very important to get that out of the way at the start. Then you explain to people how you go about winning the game. Like, here's the objective of the game is to get the most victory points, and you're going to get victory points by doing this and doing this and doing this. Uh, then you explain the structure of the game, how the overall structure of, you know, what happens, and then you dive into the details. So yeah, my approach of teaching a game is still similar, but as I say, I'm I'm quite uncomfortable when I do it having never played the game. That might be what's happening this Friday. Short Fuse says, uh, a long-term social anxiety and depression sufferer, what suggestions and advice would you have? Anybody who wants to reach out and meet people to play board games, you are UK-based. You're in South Lincolnshire. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I sympathise with you. Uh, I am a, a long-term sufferer of similar symptoms. Uh, and whilst you might not think I suffer from social anxiety, um, I cover it over uh, quite a lot <laughs> um, by by putting on a, a brave face. But yeah, I, I suffer a lot of that as well. But if it is actually affecting your ability to go out and meet people, all I can suggest is to make that step easier is try to do things online. Now, online interactions is different, and I know a lot of online interactions can be can be bad, but personally, uh, I've had a lot of very good online interactions. So actually, you know, getting up, getting dressed, having a shower, going out and going to a local club and sitting down with other people can put you in an uncomfortable position, especially if you don't know those people. Whereas doing something online is, it's a kind of stepping stone to that. You are still with other people, you're still talking to other people, but you're doing it from the comfort of your own home, so it's it's a little bit more uh, it's a little bit more safe. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're one of my patron supporters. I don't recognise the name, but presumably Short Fuse is not your real name. Um, but if you were, if you are one of my patron supporters, we have a great community on the Slack channel, and we organise a lot of online gaming there. So the Slack channel for patron supporters is a very friendly community where people can feel safe. Uh, and we quite often do a lot of online gaming. Right now, there are about a dozen games going on, uh, on on Board Game Arena, for example, and we do some live playthroughs as well, which aren't on the channel. So we actually do quite a lot of uh, live online gaming together, which, which isn't streamed to the public channel. Um, so yeah, but other than that, the other thing I could suggest is possibly posting on um, the threads on Board Game Geek. If anybody use those, uses those threads on Board Game Geek, the general threads. I know I used to use them a long time ago, but I, I don't use them now. Or Facebook groups as well. If you're a member of any UK-based Facebook groups, you could post on them and say, is anybody interested in doing any online gaming? Because all you need to do online gaming is a computer or an iPad with a connection to something like Board Game Arena, uh, I mean, if you use Tabletop Simulator, even better, because you've got access to other games. But yeah, Board Game Arena or uh, Yukata or something like that, use Discord to talk to people, and it's really simple. I mean, you can play these games with other people without speaking to them, but I think speaking to them makes the games... It makes the games flow a lot better. So yeah, I hope that helps. If it does, let me know. Feel free to drop me a message privately if you want to discuss this with me personally, and I'll see, if, see what I can do. Uh, last question in from Edward is, what are my favourite games in the light, medium, heavyweight categories? I can't answer that that quickly, Edward. Um, yeah, no. That, that's a question which I'm really going to have to sit down and think about. Uh, all I can tell you about is the games which I'm 
you know, really enjoying right now. Let, let's pick some really, really good light games. Really good light games um, for sale is really good. And I've just got the new version that arrived uh, last week from Eagle Griffin. So for sale is a fantastic filler game. That's really good. Other games that I think are quite light. Um, gosh. I mean, I enjoy a lot of light games. You know, a lot of people think that I only like heavy games and that I only cover heavy games. There's a huge amount of light games that I really enjoy. Um, you know, I mean, th even things like the macro, micro, macro crime city thing, potentially not really a game, but very light, very, very good fun. Um, Ingenious by Rani Knizia, that's quite light as well. There's a lot of light games that I really enjoy. Medium weight is my, my favourite category. Um, and I've got loads. Yeah, I, mean, I always joke that I've got 50 top 10 games. So yeah, um, feel free to contact me separately, Edward, but I can't answer that question right now on the spur of the moment, I'm afraid. Right, that's the end of all of the questions that we've been asked. I'm now able to look at the live chat. So, have I covered City of Kings? Thoughts on it? I haven't covered City of Kings on the channel, but I have played it a few times um, and I didn't, it didn't, it didn't sit with me. Now I, I know people who for them City of Kings was their favourite game of the year and it's a top 10 game for them. For me, um, I was a bit disappointed by it because I think I was expecting something else and then when I got it and I played it, me and the couple of people that I played it with, none of us got it. And we, we played it I think three or four times so we, we didn't you know, we didn't just play it once and write it off. We gave it a good go, but it just didn't, it didn't gel with me at all. There were, there were a couple of things about City of Kings that didn't gel with me. The first one was, um, it's a, it's a, it's a really unusual mix of deterministic combat and random resource gathering. Now, I'm a huge fan of Mage Knight, which has deterministic combat. There's no dice rolling in Mage Knight. Well, there is for the mana, but when it comes down to the combat, I love Dungeon Lords uh, and I love Mage Knight, right? So I like deterministic combat. And the combat in City of Kings was deterministic. However, I could talk for 10 minutes of this. It, it was weird. If you imagine that the map of the world is like a, a four by five grid and the monsters on one of those spaces the way that the monsters attack, normally you would think from these games, you, you actually move on to the space with the monster and you fight the monster, because that's how combat with monsters works. In this game, the monsters, they attack every row horizontally and vertically from where they are on the map. Which, it, that makes no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. If you've got some kind of troll in a space on the board, how can it do an attack in all of the lines of the map, like tens of miles? It, so basically, the combat in the game, not only was it deterministic, it was completely abstract. Like, it was as if it wasn't really fighting a monster. It was just some kind of weird abstract game puzzle over the top. And then on the side of that, you have the bit of the game where you're going off into the forest gathering resources, where you roll dice to see how many resources you gather. And my big problem with that system is the dice that you roll to collect the resources ranges from zero to you've collected loads of resources. But the zero was you've also attracted the monsters, which is basically if you roll and get like a one, not only have you collected no resources, 
but you also have attracted the monsters. Or you could roll and get a six and you've collected loads of resources and you haven't attracted the monsters. It was massively, massively random. Um, and you put those things together. And as I say, I gave it a go, but it just didn't gel with me at all. I found the characters were all very similar. The character progression, yeah, didn't work with me. But anyway, um, yeah, Mage, Mage Knight and Uthia, how different it will feel, mostly for Solo. As I say, I wasn't a fan of the game. I don't think it compares at all to Mage Knight or Uthia. Um, I really enjoy Mage Knight and Uthia, but no, City of Kings didn't, didn't get on with that. Um, next. Oh, David's in the chat from Eclectic Camel. Hi, David. Thank you for joining in. That's not how monster combat works. Yeah. You see, if you lived in Columpton, David, you would know that we get orcs, we get goblins, we get trolls, we get ban van vampires and banshees. So I know, you know, if you want any realistic questions about how to fight monsters, then I, 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 I know all about it. But I know what you mean. It's, it's the funny, it's the funny situation. And I know this is, the, this is a thing from, role-playing games from years ago is when some players would argue that something isn't realistic and you're like hang on a minute we're playing a game with dragons and wizards and you're talking about realistic but I was one of those people okay um I was one of those people that would argue this isn't realistic in a game with wizards and dragons and that's because I still want some grounding in things should work a different way. Now, I'm not saying if somebody casts a magical spell, I'm complaining about how that works, but that doesn't mean that you should throw away realism just because a game has a fantasy element in there. So, yeah, though, 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 those criticisms that people get about saying a game isn't realistic, um, I, I'm one of those people. And if you are one of those people, you will know that people make fun of you. Um, but that, that, that's just the way, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, for example, uh, if if I was to fall off a top of a mountain and I'd fall 3,000 feet, I would probably die, okay? And if I'm playing a board game and a regular human being falls 3,000 feet off a mountain and the rules are you roll a dice and on a, on a six you die, but on a one to five you get up and walk away, well, that's not realistic, right? For, forget magic, forget everything else. I still want things to work and maybe realism is, is the wrong word. Maybe realistic is the one word, but thematic, right? And as, yeah, hopefully you know what I'm saying. Um, yes, lots of monsters in Cully, says Rick. Rick would know, because Rick used to live here. Uh, Joanne says, um, tonight playing Unsettled, super nice puzzle. Fa yeah, Unsettled is a game which I have, um, I was a little disappointed actually, because I've, I've done some coverage of games for Orange Nebula, not sponsored, but I have done some playthroughs of their games on the channel and I've done a review of Vindication and Vindication is fantastic. And I was a little disappointed that they didn't reach out and uh, and ask me to cover Unsettled. But everything that I have heard about Unsettled, it looks fantastic. And I was very, very close yesterday to contacting them and saying I'd be happy to do some coverage for Unsettled on the channel. But the downside of that for me is if they said yes, because at the moment I don't have the capacity to fit it in. Um, and there's nothing worse for me than saying to a publisher, oh, I'd like to cover your game on the channel. And they go, oh, great. And they send it to me. And then I can't actually get round to covering it. Um, for example, um, Jamie Stegmeier sent me a copy of Tapestry, the latest expansion for Tapestry, three months ago. And I haven't covered it on the channel yet. And that, that gives me bad feelings. Friday, the 4th of March, 
I will be playing Tapestry with the latest expansion. So I will get round to it eventually, but yeah, I, I feel better about that. Question from Sean, have I ever encountered a game that the rules were too complex or convoluted that I just aborted the game? Yes. In fact, one of those games is Too Many Bones. Um, too Many Bones, the original rulebook, for me, I tried playing Too Many Bones three times and every single time I gave up. I literally gave up playing the game because the rules were so obtuse and could not understand them at all that I just packed the game away and, and stopped playing. Now, obviously, I have since got over that and I have spent a lot of time and effort learning how to play Too Many Bones and there is an updated rulebook which makes it better, but Too Many Bones required a huge amount of effort for me to actually get it to the table. And I have to say a huge thank you to all of the players of Too Many Bones who have joined me in my live streams, who have really helped me um, learn the rules of the game and learn how to play. But Too Many Bones was one of them. Uh, there is another game that I was very, very excited to receive. And then me and two friends, I think it was, we sat downstairs and we went, we're going to play this game. This is going to be great. And we got it and it arrived. Uh, and we sat down and we started reading the rule book. And about two hours in, we put the game away and I've never played it since. And that was Conan from Monolith with the original rulebook. Now, again, Monolith have done a, a completely new rulebook for Conan, which is really, really good and would make the game playable. But for us, we weren't able to even work out how to play the original Conan game with the, with the original rulebook. Now, the fans of the game who already knew how to play the game said, oh, no, the rulebook's fine. But for anybody trying to learn the game from the rulebook, we were, we were unable to. And this is somebody with a lot of gaming experience. So, yeah. Uh, internally consistent, says Alan. Yeah, that, that's the words I was looking for. <laughs> um, yeah, and one says, yeah, the column and row thing makes no sense. Yeah. What other questions have we got? What other questions have we got? Let's have a look. Let's scroll down. Yeah, Paul's, Paul's exactly right. You want the result to be believable within the framework of the setting. That, that's perfect. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to argue when a wizard, you know, casts a spell at me and it does something and I go, well, that's not realistic. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. But when something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Need to play Vindication again. Let's play Vindication together, David. We, we talked, didn't we talk ages ago about doing a game together? If Vindication is a game that we can play together remotely, we can. I mean, if you want to use Tabletop Simulator, we can use that. But drop me a message, and when my workload has calmed down, I would really like to play Vindication again. Let, let's do a game of Vindication. Uh, yeah, unsettle these back on Kickstarter now if anybody is interested. Uh, Edward is saying, am I doing any work with Vittel on the new game based on a simpler version of Kanban? From the artwork, it looked really cool. So, Edward, you need to get... You are a patron supporter, I think. You need to get yourself on the Slack channel. Um, I've done some videos on it, but they're not public videos. So the game you're talking about is Bot Factory. And I, I, I've actually talked about this, not in the last video log, but in the one before. So if you go and have a look at January's video log from this year, I talk about Bot Factory. So I was a rulebook consultant. So I'm not the editor of the rulebook, but I got sent a prototype of the game. No, I didn't. I got sent the files for the game. I printed out my own prototype. I then tried to play the game from the rulebook as a way of testing the rulebook. Um, now, I the rulebook was very, very rough when it got sent to me, so I had a lot of comments and feedback. Since then, another editor has picked it up and done it, but 
If the final rulebook for Bot Factory is not good, don't blame me. I, I, gave, I gave as much advice and help as I could, but I have played it. Uh, and I did talk about it in January's uh, monthly video log. So if you want to know more, go and check out uh, check out that video. It, it is in there. I'm not sure it's timestamped, but you can uh, you can scratch through it. Um, de -de 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 -de. Uh, and yes, it is a cool game, but it's not a filler game. It's not a it's not a 15 to 30 minute filler game. It is a 60 to 75 minute game, but it's really good. Um, when will I be doing another live stream with Tom and Luke? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, obviously, again, it, it's down to time. I think Tom and Luke both if would say yes. If I was to say, hey, guys, do you want to do a game at some point? Then, yeah, we, we would. But there's no plans to do one. Uh, me and Tom have a, uh, a prior thing that we've agreed to do. We've agreed to do a cooperative game of On Mars together when the On Mars expansion is released. And I'm not sure when that is, but as soon as that comes out, me and Tom will be doing a live playthrough of that together. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I like Tom and I like Luke and I like playing games with both of them. It's just a case of finding the right game. Um, if you like a more puzzly co-op that is a bit like an escape room, highly recommend Unsettled, especially if you like the sci-fi theme and a bit of humour. Yeah, you see, Unsettled definitely sounds like my kind of game. Um, David is saying their Batman game was a mess too in terms of the rules. Yes, David. <laughs> Do you know what I've been working on for the last 18 months? The, the new Batman rulebook is almost finished. Almost finished. Uh, yes, Edward, head on over to Slack. Kabuki Kids popped in. Thank you for popping in. We are, we are almost done, I think. Yeah, Cooperative on Mars. You are welcome, Rick, to, uh, to join me in a game when that arrives. Because there's, there's, I think there was, there's four scenarios that come with the game. Four modules, I think. One of them's co-op. No, one of them's solo. I think two of them are co-op, and one of them is one versus many. I think so. I think so. Right. Uh, now that Kabuki Kid has joined, I think we are pretty much all done. We don't have any other questions, do we? I think we're all up to date. Right. So I will say no more questions for now. Or, or tell you what, last, last chance for questions. Last chance for questions. If you, if you ask your questions in the next minute, then I will answer them. But other than that, we need to head downstairs and get dinner. Final shout out for the contest. If you are watching this either live or if you are watching this at any time between now and the next live Q&A, you can enter the contest. Um, just go to the link which is in the show notes of the video or Vicky's going to put a link in the chat now. Uh, if you are a patron supporter, you get extra entries. So what you need to do is fill in the form. The secret word is beaver. Um, and yeah, you could win £50 worth of games vouchers. It used to be £25, but as a way of celebrating getting to 800 patron supporters, big thank you to all of my patron supporters, uh, I've upped it to £50. So £25 is coming from Games Law, £25 is coming from me. Um, but yeah, you could win £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Um, and yeah, the Patreon. As I've mentioned a couple of times, this video and a lot of the other content I make is only possible through the Patreon campaign. So yeah, huge thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. And for those people who are thinking, well, hang on a minute, Paul, don't you get paid to make all of your content? No, I don't. Um, some of the work that I do is paid for. Some of the videos that I do is paid for, like the Perseverance video. But for example, this Friday, okay, this Friday, I'm taking the entire day off work. I'm learning Bitoku in the morning. We're then doing a live playthrough of Bitoku in the afternoon. Uh, and then in the evening, we're going to be doing a five-player game of Unfathomable. So if you are interested in watching uh, a video of Bitoku playthrough or Unfathomable, they are happening on Friday. 
Um, and I've basically taken the whole day off work to do that and none of that's paid for. And that's what the Patreon campaign funds. So yeah, if you're wondering where the Patreon funds go, it obviously helps keep the channel going, buying new equipment and, and things like that. But it also helps me take time away from the paid work in order to produce more content, which which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm really, uh, really happy with the way the Patreon's going. But it's a great community and a big thank you to everybody who is part of it. Um, speaking of Patreon, we're going to be doing a Patreon-only stream tonight. So at 8 o'clock GMT tonight, there is going to be a Patreon-only stream of Crescent Moon. The reason that is Patreon-only is I don't know how to play the game, okay? I have got to spend the next hour and a half eating dinner, tidying up, and learning how to play Crescent Moon. So basically, I'm going to be doing a video on Crescent Moon at some point in the next few weeks, and therefore I need to learn how to play. So. Four of us are getting together tonight. There is space for one more if you're interested. Um, we're going to be playing that game tonight, but that is going to be live streamed, but it's only going to be for Patreon supporters only. So yeah, Patreon supporters do get access to a lot of um, a lot of behind-the-scenes content. Right, final questions. Rick is asking, can we do a live D&D session on the channel? Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Um, we, you're more than welcome to come around. We can do a D&D game on the channel. It would probably be... Um, either a very short scenario that we could do one evening or we could do a daytime session but yeah I'd, I'd be more than more than happy to do that um, and yeah I'd be keen to see what the audience thinks because obviously this channel for the last seven or eight years has been board games it's occasionally been card games and it's occasionally been computer games but it's predominantly board games um, and I'm not saying that we would start playing D&D as a regular thing on the channel but I am curious if you are a, a regular follower of mine how would you feel about a one-off D&D session being, being shown on the channel. Uh, is, that, is that something that you would be interested in, in looking? Uh, next question, you ordered on Mars in the expansion but you don't have the base game. What are my thoughts on the base game solo mode? I will be honest with you, the base game solo mode for on Mars is a bit too complicated for me. Um, I like my solo modes very easy, very low maintenance, very little to think about. And the, the, the solo mode for On Mars that's included in the game is very clever, but it's a little bit too much for me. As I say, I'm not saying it isn't good. I'm just saying it was a bit too complex for me. Um, will I also help with the rulebook for the upcoming Uthea expansion? Well, that's an interesting one because I have now officially retired from rulebook editing. So I, I, I don't know who's going to be doing the rulebook. All I will hope is that they keep the same style and the same formatting for the new Uthea stuff. Because um, I think we did a really good job on the original Uthea rulebooks, but I won't be doing the editing of the new rulebooks. I don't know who they're going to get to do it, but I really hope they, um, they, they maintain the, the same quality. What are we having for dinner? It is pork cobbler with apple. We're going to have to have apple with it because it was a very, very strong taste. What's in it? pork, cider, leek, but it was a very, very strong, very, very tasty, and it needed uh, it needed an, literally an apple you should chop up and eat with it just to take away um, some of the strong taste. Um, can we do a live painting session on the channel? Yes, absolutely want to. Again, drop me a message and we'll, 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 we'll do something, because um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of painting at the moment, but I'm doing my painting while I'm downstairs watching TV. Um, if I'm upstairs in the studio, I'm normally streaming playing a game. So I would like to do more because uh, I am doing quite a lot of painting. I'm just not doing it on the channel. But I'm more than happy to do a painting stream. Yeah, we can definitely do that. 
thumbs up from Kabuki Kid on the D&D. David also says, love an RPG. Yeah, I mean, without going into too much detail, because we're slightly overrun here, I, I grew up playing D&D in the early 80s, and there are a lot of role-playing games that I've wanted to play in the past. D&D, obviously, I've played a lot, um, but I, I've been wanting to play a game of Shadowrun for a very, very, very long time, and there's there's many other RPG systems that I would like to try. Um, I'm, I'm just conscious of the fact that I don't have enough time to cover the board games that I want to cover on the channel, let alone branching out into role-playing games. But yeah, if that's something that um, that people are interested in seeing, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go for that. Um, yeah, D&D one week, Fate the next, FFG Genesis. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that big of a... <laughs> I've not done any role-playing games for a very, very, very long time. Uh, yeah, Youth Theater's rulebook is really good. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, it took a very, very, very long time. Kabuki Kid started with the D&D back in 81. I think that's the year before me. You beat me. Yeah, I think I think it was 82 for me. For me, it was the, it was the red box. It was the basic D&D box set, uh, which is when I, when, you, when I started. And then we very quickly moved from basic D&D to advanced D&D because we joined a local D&D club. And that would have been probably 84. Used to meet in a scout hut in Cleveland's in, uh, in Lancashire. Um, and our parents, me, Jason, Neil and Richard used to go. Um, and our parents would take it in turns to basically drive us. And uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, an, an old scout hut in, um, in Cleveland's uh, up in Lancashire. Um, a few years ago, actually, it was, it was quite interesting is that somebody who used to go to that club contacted me. I think they saw my channel and they reached out to me. And I had this email from somebody for, that I hadn't seen for like 35 years. Um, it, it was weird. A guy called Mike. And, um, you know, when I used to go to this club, I was like between 13 and 17 years old. And Mike was one of the older people. You know, he was in his 20s or early 30s at the time or something like that. So we were just kids. And Mike was one of the people who helped organize it. And I think it was Mike. And yeah, he reached out to me a few years ago and sent me an email and said, yeah, we're all still gaming here. It's good to see that you're still gaming. And um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was really cool. I might drop him a message actually and see how he's doing. Anyway, we are all done. Thank you very much to everybody for watching this. This has been a lot of fun. I will be back next month with another live Q&A. Again, big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. More so now, especially with me giving up the rulebook work, which I'm almost there, almost there. Um, I'll be back tonight with the Crescent Moon video, which won't be public. That'll be patron supporters only. So if you're interested, keep an eye on the Slack channel. I'll be posting a link there. Uh, in terms of what other content is coming to the channel publicly, we have the Earth playthrough tomorrow. Two o'clock GMT tomorrow afternoon. Connor McGooey is going to join me, Dan and Mike. And we're going to be playing through Earth, which is on Kickstarter right now. Friday afternoon is going to be Bitoku. Friday evening is going to be Unfathomable. And that's it until next week. We're all done. Thanks very much everybody for watching. Take care and I'll see you next time. Bye bye.